Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. So go ahead and grab your Bible. We'll put it up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I'd like you to see it in there because you might want to take some notes or underline some things. Let me know when you are there. First Peter chapter two, verses four through five. Are you there? Say yes. yes. Okay. You can read along with me. It says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's read this together one more time. This is our key verse. We'll spend almost all of our time here today, but I really want us to get this. It says this, as you come to him, and he's speaking of Jesus. This is Peter writing. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, the place and the priest. Would you join me in prayer just for a moment? Heavenly Father, we we turn all of our attention to you. And God, I pray for the next few moments that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might be changed and challenged by your word. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. So Peter, here writing in chapter two of 1 Peter, he's writing a message and writing a letter to the early church believers. Now, when he's writing to them and the purpose that he's writing to them is they are under heavy persecution from the Roman Empire. They've been driven out of the public spaces, uh, not able to practice their their Christianity and their belief in Jesus publicly without persecution. So they have kind of been driven from their homes and their cities. They're kind of on the run. They're scattered. And as you can imagine, being an early believer under this type of persecution, being scattered from your homes, uh, many of them are beginning to really suffer and struggle holding on to their faith in the midst of this situation. Can you imagine? Aren't we a blessed people to live in the United States of America where we can worship freely and we're protected to do so? Uh, We should never take that for granted. But here, this early church is under severe persecution and therefore scattered abroad, still attempting to maintain and hold on to their faith in Christ. So Peter, uh, being a church father, he says, I'm going to write a letter for the purpose of giving hope and help to the church in the midst of this crisis. And so what he begins to do is he begins to preach a message affirming the identity of the church. Because how many of you know when you're under great pressure and when you're under great duress and when you're under attack, it's easy to forget who you are because you're so consumed with what's happening around you. And so Peter, as a father says, I wanna come around you church, even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of your pain and encourage you, not by telling you that it's all gonna be okay in this moment, but by reminding you who you are. So let's go back and read this again. First Peter chapter two, verses four through five, understanding that this is where they are. And this is the lens that Peter is writing through. This is what he says to them. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus in this present circumstance, in the challenge that you're facing, as you come to him, the living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones 
And you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let me give you the thesis of this message and it's the big idea. It's the summary of what Peter is writing here. Then we'll put it up on the screen. The church is the place for God's presence and the priests for his worship. Let me say that again. The church is the place for God's presence and the priests for his worship. Now, I, w- I wanna deal with those two points here in a moment. Before I do, I wanna, I wanna understand and let's come around the, the framework in the way that Peter is beginning to bring these two points home to the church. See, he says, as you come to him, everyone say that with me, say, as you come. Come on, say that again, as you come. I want you to put First Peter, uh, there you go, chapter two says, as you come to him, the living stone. This, this word for coming to him, it's important to understand the way this was written. It's the aorist imperfect tense, which means it is a, it is a past action that, has an, that is ongoing and continuous. It would be like saying this, I chose to love my wife and I continue to love my wife. I didn't just choose to love her in the beginning and let's see how it goes from there. I chose to love her, there was a moment I I engaged, I committed and I continue to commit my life to her. This is the kind of coming to Jesus that Peter is speaking of. He's saying, hey church, even in the midst of your struggle, I want you to remember something. Just like you came to Jesus, but also as you continue to come to Jesus, he's doing something in your life. So let's pause here for a moment. As you come to Christ, listen, I I wanna challenge you, church, because not every day, if anyone ever told you following Jesus is easy, they lied to you. There's moments and there's challenges along the way. As you come to Jesus, here's my challenge. When life gets tough, when, when, when life takes its toll, when life deals a blow to you, continue coming to Jesus. Come on, let's not just remember the time that we came to him. Let's continue to come to Jesus. Isn't it easy when when something happens, when you get the diagnosis, when when you lose the job, when the dream seems to get delayed further, when someone hurts you, when someone betrays you, when somebody that you really respected fails and and you can begin to go, well, I just don't have it in me to go to church this weekend. I just, I don't have it in me to serve and get in my city group this weekend. I I just, I kind of lost the motivation. Sometimes we struggle even to get up and pray. Why? Because of the the disappointment and the frustration that we feel in life. No, no, no. When life hits you, when something gets down, it's more important even then to continue to come to Jesus. Because as you come to Jesus, he does something in your life. And when, when you gave your life to Christ, and that day, maybe you can all remember that day, or maybe for some of you today, is that gonna, gonna be that day? When you gave your life to Christ, It wasn't giving your life to Christ and then saying, I'll see you in heaven someday. No, no, no. That moment of coming to Christ is the initiation of a new rhythm. It's the initiation of a new way of life of consistently coming and communing with Jesus. I love that moment in scripture when the disciples, they observed Jesus's relationship with his father and they said, Jesus, I don't know what you say to your father when you go off and pray, but I want that kind of a relationship. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, sure, this is what you should say when you pray. My father, holy is your name and give me this day my daily bread. Does God only have enough to give you today's? No, he could give you everything you ever need, but he gives you daily bread because the rhythm of life with Christ is you continue to come back day after day after day after day. Come on, church. We're not people who said yes to Jesus and then we live our own life. We continue to come to Jesus day in and day out. I heard somebody say one time that stress, that stress comes from trying to deal with tomorrow's challenge with today's strength. 
Come on, some of us are dealing with stress and anxiety and worry because we're trying to deal with tomorrow's worry with the grace that we've been given for today. No, 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 no. Come to Jesus daily because he's got what you need daily when you come before him. Thank the Lord for that one. So he says, as you come and continue to come to Jesus, he also says, let's understand who it is that we are coming to. You're coming to the living stone that was rejected by men. He was also chosen and precious in the sight of God. So as you come to him, this living stone, remember that he was rejected by men. Why is he saying this? Remember the church right now is currently being rejected by men. They're being persecuted. They're being sequestered. They're being run out of their routine. They're being run out of the public square. And he's saying, listen, I just want to encourage you and remind you that you're not being persecuted because of who you are. You're being persecuted because of who you follow. But the whole idea is that we're following our Messiah. We're becoming more and more like him. So if he was rejected, we'll be rejected as well. But I'm so thankful that Peter didn't stop there because what did he say? The living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. Yes, he was rejected by men, but he was precious and chosen in the sight of God. Church, you might be rejected by men, but you are precious and chosen in the sight of God. Don't ever let the rejection of a man or a woman in your life make you think that you've been rejected by God. You might have been rejected by a parent. You might have been rejected by a friend. You might have been rejected by a boss. You might have been rejected by a teacher. I don't know what kind of rejection you've carried on with you, but I'm here to clear up any confusion that you might have in your life. You might be rejected by a man, but you are chosen and you are precious in the sight of God. So that's why we can take confidence and take security that even when it seems like we're in opposition against the world, I might be rejected here, but I know whom I serve. I know who I'm living for. I know who my eternal reward is, and I am chosen and precious in his sight. And I love that Jesus even tried to encourage ahead of time. He said, listen, be prepared to be rejected for my sake. But when you do, take courage because greater am I that's in you than he that's in the world that rejects you. So here's the challenge to the church. Just as you came to Jesus, continue to come to Jesus. Even when times get tough. Why? Because it's in our coming to Jesus, our continually coming to Jesus, that the church is made the place for his presence and the priests for his worship. So let's deal with that for a moment. Number one this morning, the church is the place for the presence of God. Let's go to verse five in first Peter. So he says, as you come, and then verse five, he says, you yourselves are like living stones. You're like Jesus. You're growing up to become like your Messiah. You're constantly maturing and being built up, coming after the one who you follow. You yourselves are like living stones and you're being built up as a spiritual house. I want to encourage you in this. This is a promise that we can engage and hold on to. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of challenge or struggle, what kind of persecution you might be feeling. I don't know if you're trying to hold, faith, hold on to faith even in the face of a bad diagnosis. I don't know if you're trying to hold on to faith even as uh, inflation has hit your home. I don't know if you're still trying to hold on to a dream that God has put in your heart, even though it seems like delay after delay after delay. But can I tell you, there's something about holding on. There's something about being under the fire. There's something about standing up under pressure and being sustained only 
only by the grace of God that allows God to do something great in you that he could not have done if you had not gone through struggle, that you had not gone through persecution. The Bible says that what the enemy meant for evil in your life, God has plans to turn it around and use it for good in your life. And so Peter says, as you continue to come to Jesus, even in the face of challenge, you can be confident of this, something is being built in you in that process. And God builds this in you. He builds you into a spiritual house so that you can be the host of his presence. When he says you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, that word for house is the word oikos, and it can be translated as family or dwelling place. He's saying, hey, church, you're being built into the place where God will manifest his presence on the earth. This is encouraging to believers, especially the believers who are scattered. Oh, how they long to be able to gather in the church building with their congregation and their friends and lift up high and worship the name of Jesus. But they're scattered. They've been pushed out. They're on the run. They're beginning to wonder, can I hold on to my faith? Can I continue to go forward? Does God even, is he even pleased with me when I can't get to the house to worship him? And Peter says, hold on, that was an old order. There's a new way. We don't go to a temple to feel God's presence any longer. We have become the temple of God. The church is no longer just bricks and mortar and stones. The church is a spiritual house that's being built with living stones. And that's you and I to be the place where God God's presence dwells for us. What an encouraging word for somebody, a believer that wants to get back to the building. And he says, hold on, the building is gone. You've become the presence in the house of God. So take courage that God is not somewhere to be found. He's somewhere to be experienced as he comes up in you. I love this quote by Pastor Jensen Franklin. I heard one time, he said, in the Old, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. But in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. Come on, what a shift, what a change. It used to be that, that, that Jews would have to travel thousands and thousands of miles just to experience God in the temple in Jerusalem. And then suddenly we realize that God now closed the gap and he came to us that we might become the living stones, the house built up to become the very dwelling place of the most high. But I want us, I think it's important as a church, we understand and we recognize the communal language that Peter is speaking with. Because Peter, yes, as we, as we find that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes Christians get funny with that. They say, well, we don't need to go to church because I am the church and I can experience God wherever I am or wherever I wanna do. And while there is a measure of experience God's presence, there's also a measure that you can only experience God's presence in the corporate gathering of the saints. Come on, he's speaking of a communal language. He's speaking to the body. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you to be discouraged that you can't get to that brick building today. All you need to do is gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. And when the saints come together and when the saints agree, just like Matthew 28 says, Jesus says, if just two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. The church is not a building, but make no mistake, the church is a gathering. It's a gathering of believers. It's a gathering of the church coming together. Anytime somebody starts going off and doing their own isolated Christianity, something's wrong there because God places the lonely in families and he calls us to be the gathered church of Jesus Christ together. Come on, someone say amen. 
So Peter is teaching, don't be discouraged and don't be dismayed because God is actually building you as living stones to become the dwelling place of the most high God. Psalm 22, three says that, the, that God abides or God is enthroned on the praises of his people. I love it. The church gathering is where we experience God beyond his omnipresence and begin to experience him in a corporate manifested presence of God. Now listen, the, the fact that God has chosen the church to be his dwelling place for, for his spirit is unbelievable when you think about uh, historically how God has chosen to do that through time. You see, when he created the heavens and the earth, the Bible said his presence dwelled in the Garden of Eden. And he created mankind, he created Adam and Eve to enjoy his presence with them. But when sin entered, it created a separation and a divide between us and God. But right then, that, God, that began God's, God's mission and God's purpose in drawing close to us again. And the Bible says his presence dwelled in the Ark of the Covenant, which sat in the middle of the tabernacle of Moses. And people could still meet and offer worship to their Lord, but they had to do it by proxy through a priest who would pass the outer courts into the inner courts to offer the sacrifice. It was, it was a good system, but it wasn't a great system. So then God said, I'm too far away from my people. And so then the Ark of the Covenant with the presence of God rested in the tent of David, which didn't have all the layers to get through. They were able to circle around the tent of David and offer up 24 seven sacrifices and worship to him. But even that wasn't good enough to God. And he says, I'm gonna come in the, in, the, in, the, in the body of my son. And the presence of God came to the earth to come among men, which is why we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. His presence was there in flesh and bone like you and I, but he was limited to one space, which wasn't good enough. So God says, I'm gonna send my son to die on a cross, to die the death that you should have died. And when he conquers death, the Bible says that the veil in the temple, which represented a separation between us and God, that when, when he died and in that moment, the Bible says that from the top to the bottom, the, the veil was torn in two, signifying that there would no longer be a separation between the presence of God and his people. And so then in Acts chapter two, when the church was gathered in the upper room, waiting and crying out and believing that God would keep his promise and send his presence, the Bible said like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit came and he birthed the church and he breathed on them with power. The church expanded and began to grow rapidly and suddenly these people, these earthen vessels, these fallen broken people became the dwelling place for the presence of almighty God. But Peter's having to work through some of these old understandings of these Jewish believers that still thought that they had to be in a particular building to experience God. And Peter is saying, no, 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 that day is over. The day has come that you have become the spiritual house. And as you come to Christ over and over and over again, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of challenge, take courage because you're being built up into a bigger house, able to be more fully enjoy the presence of God in your life. Hold on to the promise of 1 Peter chapter four that says even in the midst of challenge as you come to him, believe me, God is building you up to be a bigger container to hold and, man and carry and enjoy his presence. When I was preparing for this message, I read a commentary by Wayne Grudem, which if you don't know who Wayne Grudem is, he's an incredible theologian and maybe one of the foremost teachers on really the Christian doctrine, but this is what he said. He says, as you keep on coming to Christ in worship and in prayer and in praise, you are continually being built up into a spiritual temple. And hear this, a place in which God more and more fully dwells. 
Come on, I wanna be somebody. I wanna be a container. I wanna be a vessel. I wanna be built up where God can more and more fully dwell. Come on, I wanna be somebody that goes, the stands the test of time in my faith. I wanna be somebody that continues to trust God even in the face of challenge. I wanna be somebody that's 85, 90 years old that looks back and says, I never gave up. And because of that, I have more and more fully experienced the presence and the dwelling presence of God. That's who I wanna be, amen, church? Come on, we are the place for God's presence. Number two, we are the priests for his worship. So we're not just a place to be filled, we're also the place that's filled to be used. I love it. God doesn't just fill you. He fills you to spill you. God did once again what he did in the Garden of Eden. He gave them this, 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 this garden, this place, this presence to enjoy. And then what did he do? He gave them a job to do something with what he's been given. The, 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 the God does the same thing with the church. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, but not so that you can do nothing, but so that you can then really expand my kingdom throughout the earth and be the priests that offer me praise. So we are a holy priest. Look at this in verse five. It says, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood whose job is to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Now, historically, priests were the only one that had direct access to God and they were the only ones that were allowed to offer worship. If you wanted to offer your worship to the Lord, if you wanted to express gratitude and thanks, you had, to, you had to bring your sacrifice to a priest and they could go before and do it for you. But God says, that's not how it is anymore. You are now, the church is now the priests and you can bring your worship before me yourself. And so we've been given a job to bring worship to the Lord. Well, what does that look like now for these, for these New Testament believers who, who only know of a certain way to worship and offer sacrifices to the Lord? Well, we can look throughout the Old Testament or the New Testament and we'll see that they use Old Testament sacrifices to teach a new covenant way of worshiping Christ. And so there was five there was five offerings in the Old Testament. Two of them were for the purpose of atoning for sin and forgiveness. And so if you wanted to offer worship to God, you had to first offer two sacrifices that atoned for your sin, and then you could offer three other sacrifices that would give uh, it was it was just worship and gratitude and adoration. Well, because Jesus has forever atoned for our sin, we don't have to offer those sacrifices anymore. The all worship that we offer as the church is voluntary thanksgiving and gratitude to the Lord. Can I tell you, you don't need to show up on Sunday morning, but if you wanna offer up gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord, show up to church early with a song in your mouth and a word in your heart that you might offer and express your gratitude and thanksgiving to Jesus. Come on, somebody. This is why we worship. It's not out of obligation. It's not to be accepted. It's not so that we can prove to God how good we are. We don't worship so we can get God's attention. No, we have God's attention. We have God's acceptance. We worship out of a grateful heart, saying, God, because you've been so good, because you've made me the place of your presence. Let me return my gratefulness and my thankfulness to you. So these three sacrifices, it was the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fellowship offering. They really frame what we understand now as worship that's acceptable to the Lord. And, and I think in the, in the weeks to come, we'll talk a little bit about the grain and the fellowship offering. But for the rema our main, remaining time today, I wanna talk about the burnt offering. You see, the burnt offering, just remember, this is not for sin. This is not for forgiveness. Jesus already did that. This offering is really an act of worship and gratitude. And, the, and this word for burnt offering literally means to, to rise up or to offer up or to release. 
It's the picture of throwing up your hands. It's like, it's like this idea of, of, of a campfire. When you, when you light the fire, the smoke rises up. It rises up. It's, it's an offering up to the Lord. The same understanding with this burnt offering there's a definition in there that, that talks about the consumption of the offering itself. And the reason for that is there was an ancient understanding of worship that, that believed that when you, when you burnt an offering and that smoke rise, that, that God was literally consuming or eating the offering that was being given to him. Okay, so this, 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 there's this whole idea in this picture of this burnt offering of going, God, I offer up, I release this to you knowing that you are gonna fully consume and receive and accept this offering and this worship that I'm giving to you. So this is the idea behind the burnt offering. And so that brings some clarity to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Bring this up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That's the understanding behind that scripture because God will consume and receive and accept your worship that you offer to him. So when people would bring their offering to be burnt and offered and released to God, there was this understanding and this symbolism and this significance that when they brought this burnt offering, they were saying, God, I want you to consume all that I give you. Everything that I am offering you now is fully, fully yours. Now, there was three understandings in this, in this burnt offering. The first one was this, that if you were gonna bring a burnt offering to the Lord, it had to be either a bull, a ram, or a bird. A bull, a ram, or a bird. And they were all received with the same value. If you were a rich person, you would bring a bull. If you were a middle-class person, you'd bring a ram. And if you were a lower-class person, you would bring a bird. But they were all received of same value. What's the point? that no matter where you are, what your economic background is, no matter what you have, you still have something of worth and of value to God. Everyone can worship. Because it wasn't about the amount that you gave, it was the heart in which you gave it. How many of you guys know in 2 Corinthians says that God loves a cheerful giver, not someone who gives under compulsion or having their arm twisted. God is not looking for the amount that you give. He's looking for the heart in which you gave it with. The idea behind bringing a bull or a ram or a bird was, did you bring your very best to God? God is not impressed with amounts. He's impressed with the amount that's left over in your life. You think about Jesus observing those who were giving offerings, to the, giving offerings to the church and he saw people giving great amounts, but then he saw a woman give just two shekels into the offering and he leaned over to his crew and he said, she gave more than the rest of them. And they said, that's mathematically impossible. He said, well, the kingdom is kind of impossible. He said, the reason she gave more is because they gave out of this great abundance. They got lots left. She gave all that she had. This was reflected back in an Old Testament burnt offering. You gave your best to God because he's worth it. But the second thing was that when you gave this animal, you were saying, God, just like I'm giving this to you, everything I have belongs to you. It's the reason as believers, we give the first 10% of our income to Christ because we're saying, God, I'm showing you that you're in charge of all of this by obeying you with the amount that you called of me. 
It's this total surrender saying, God, you have all of me. And I love this. So the third part was this. They absolutely would not let the fire go out or take anything off the altar until every piece of that animal was completely burnt and consumed. They wouldn't say, well, it burnt enough. Let's just scrape the bones off of it. Let's just take, hey, is there any meat left on that bone? Maybe we can have a little meat here later. They didn't do any of that. No, no, they wouldn't take that thing off until everything was consumed. Why? It was reflecting, God, you have all of me. There's nothing for me to hold back from you. So when Peter says, listen, we're not offering sacrifices like we used to, we're now offering spiritual sacrifices. Uh, This is important, church, that that worship isn't just immaterial emotions, feelings, mystical, odd worship. That's why when we we come to worship and we say, hey, we're going to continue to worship God in our giving, we're trying to teach you that worship is not just a 20-minute emotional session of singing songs. Worship is bringing something of substance to God. You see, we're flesh and bone. We're people of substance. So therefore, our worship isn't just ethereal. It's not just mystical. It's not just smoke. It's not just emotional. It's not just feelings. What makes a sacrifice spiritual, what makes worship spiritual is when you are prompted and led by the power of the Holy Spirit to offer something in your life. And so when we come and sing songs, we're doing it because the Spirit is leading us to sing. And when we give our money, it's because we're doing it because the Holy Spirit is empowering us and leading us to give. When we serve somebody, when we give of our time and when we give our energy, we're not just doing it because we're good people. We're doing it because we're led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. This is what offering a spiritual sacrifice looks like. But what I want to do is bring a correlation because I think this is going to help you because it helps me in understanding how a, a burnt offering is offered to the Lord as worship. Because how many of you, you desire to worship? You want to worship God. You want to give God your best. You're not always sure what to give him. What does God want? This is what God wants. He wants a burnt offering. And so when, 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 a, when a person would bring a ram or a bull or a bird, they laid on the altar. And though they were laying an animal on the altar to be consumed, this is, what they, 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 this is what they knew they were doing on the inside. See, when they would offer the head of the animal, head always represents authority in your life. When they would offer the head of that animal to be consumed, they were saying, God, you are the authority of my life. I'm not the authority of my life. I'm not in charge of my life. God, I'm yielding and surrendering. I'm offering you the authority of my life that belongs to you. When they would offer the the outward parts of the animal, the skin of the animal, that represents the outward behavior of our life. Say, God, the way I act, the way I look, the way I, I, I conduct myself, God, that belongs to you. I'm offering you the outward parts of my life that you would be Lord over all of that. When they would offer the legs of the animal, legs always represent direction and future. They would say, God, I'm offering you the legs of this animal because I'm telling you right now that you now get to decide my future. You get to decide my direction. God, I'm no longer the captain and the navigator of my own life and my own ship. God, I'm yielding and surrendering right now to your future and your destiny and your direction that you have for my life. When they would offer the, the fat of the animal, see fat always represents wealth and luxury and abundance. When they would burn the fat of the animal on that altar, they were saying, God, everything that you've given me is yours. All my resource, all my abundance, I recognize that every good and perfect thing comes from above. And just as you entrusted it with me, I'm giving it back to you. God, I'm offering you the fats of my life. Anybody got fat you wanna offer God today? I'm like, God, I got some fat right here. You can just burn that thing right off, God. I'll have abs for Jesus. I'll do that for you, Lord. 
because I don't want to do what it takes to get them. I offer you the fat of my life. This is, this is kind of gross, but this is, this is super important. The entrails, the innards of the animal. It was offered to represent that God, everything inside of me also submits to you. My attitude, my disposition, my thought life, my motives, my heart. I'm not just gonna be somebody that looks like a Christian on the outside. I'm not gonna be someone who just says what, I'm, says what should be heard and I'm not just gonna lift up my hands to appear as holy God. No, 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 I want you to pierce pay it past all those other things in my life and I'm offering you the inside parts of who I am where all that guilt is stored up, where all that shame is stored up, where all those things that you tried to hide and keep in the darkness where all that's, God, I even give you that part of who I am. You can have even the inside of me and they would burn it all down. They wouldn't take anything off that altar. Even the blood would, would burn. And that represents the entirety of life that's within me. God, I recognize that I live and I move and I have my being in you and you alone. You're the substance, you're the author, you're the beginning, you're the end, you're the everything. And I offer you all that I am. See, when they would bring a bull or a ram or a bird, it wasn't just paying their dues and heading on. No, it represented an entire yielding and surrendering of their life to God. Because God says, I don't want just 20 minutes minutes from you on Sunday morning. I don't want just a pity show up for you on Thursday night. I don't want just a 30 minute moment in the morning when you play some Spotify. All that's good, but I want everything that you have. I want the authority. I want the direction. I want the inside thoughts. I want the wealth. I want it all. You want to offer me a burnt offering? Then yield it all to me. You see, this brings a much clearer understanding when you know that, why Paul said in chapter 12 of Romans, he goes, this is your reasonable act of worship. Remember for the first 11 chapters, he totally, he totally brings understanding and clarity to the gospel of Christ and what Jesus did for us for those 11 chapters. And then all of a sudden in chapter 12, he says, therefore, in view of all of the things that God has done, look at this in chapter 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what is holy and acceptable. And it's your spiritual worship. Church, worshiping God is not an activity. It's you. It's giving yourself fully to the Lord. I wanna invite the, the, the team to come out and join me on stage as we bring this to a close. But I wanna point out to you, we read three scriptures today, three scriptures. Romans 12:1, Hebrews 11:28, or sorry, chapter 12, verse 28, First Peter 2, and I want you to see the common theme that's brought in when it comes to worship. Romans 12, 1, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Hebrews 12, 28 says, worship God acceptably in reverence and in awe. And then First Peter 2, our key scripture today says, we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The reality is there are acceptable and unacceptable ways to worship. The fact is you can't just worship God however you want and expect him to receive it as worship. God has acceptable ways to be praised. I wonder how often we're offering God something and he he isn't receiving it the way we think he is. You know, when you get married, it's important to understand something called the five love languages. 
Again, be familiar with what the five love languages are. The basic idea is that we tend to give and receive love different than one another. See, for me, my primary love language is words of encouragement. You want me to feel loved? Don't ask me to hang out with you for an hour. I'm not interested in that. Tell me I'm awesome. God put me with a woman who has my least favorite love language, acts of service. I remember for the first few years, man, I would tell Kiel, oh, Kiel, you're so beautiful. You're so, I love you so much. You're amazing. My God, you are so attractive right now. You know, like things like this. And I'm thinking, oh, she, her love cup is so full right now. I mean, she's just, how loved is she? But I, I wouldn't ever actually put my dish in the dishwasher. And I, and, I, and I wouldn't ever actually straighten up my side of the room. And I wondered why she wasn't just always so in love with me. <laughs> Until one day she told me, you're not loving me the way I wanna be loved. And I realized that there is acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. And God has acceptable worship. And I wanna be somebody who's faithful to say, God, I see what you love. I see what you like. And I, that's how I'm gonna respond. I, I'm not gonna try to just offer you my best thought of what worship is, and then hopefully you take it. No, no, God, I'm gonna find out what you want. And that's what I'm gonna offer you because you're worthy of it. You know, the number one way, and really the only way, that worship is accepted by God is through Jesus Christ. What did it say there in verse five? We offer spiritual sacrifices through Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because your best apart from Jesus, the Bible says is still like dirty underwear. God really doesn't want your dirty underwear. And because that was the best you were ever gonna be able to give him, he sent his son Jesus to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you should have died, but then to defeat death and hell the way you never could so that we could be made right, not by our own good works and not by our idea of what worship is and should be, but so that by faith we could receive the gift of salvation. And the Bible says that by grace alone we have been saved. And then in that moment, not because we are perfect or not because we're so honorable, but we can begin to offer our praise and worship to, to God. Why? Because we are now in Jesus Christ and he receives his son. Wayne Grudem says this, spiritual sacrifices must be offered through Jesus Christ. For only through him are Christians qualified to be priests to God or to do anything pleasing in God's sight. You know what's amazing? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're able to bring our entire life before God and it's worship to him. I mean, think about it. We can bring our, our behavior, good and bad. We can still say, God, I don't have much to bring you, but here it is in its worship. We can bring our pleasures and our joys and our thoughts and our emotions, our ambitions, our goals, and we offer everything to God, but we do it in Christ Jesus because Jesus is what makes worship acceptable to God. 
it's so easy for us to, and, and maybe, maybe you're like me because I have this issue and, I, and hopefully I'm not, I'm not alone in this, but maybe you're like me and you walk into moments of quote unquote worship like this and stuff starts going through your head. Well, man, I don't know if God wants any of this for me. I mean, goodness gracious, I, I lose my temper. And I went back to that thing I'd never said I'd go to. And you know, what, what, what do I have to offer God of, of any worth? And, and then we start playing that comparison game, which Bible says is super unwise to do. But we walk in and I go, man, look at Jimmy and Susan Lee. They've been serving God longer than I've been alive. What an incredible offering they can offer to him. What an incredible offering they get to offer to him. Or how about this? You, you ready? Hey, honey, let's go. We're going to go to church. And then you yell at your kids and fight with your wife the entire time on your way to church. And you walk in and you're trying to put on a happy face, but you're like, oh my God, I just sounded like Satan for the last 30 minutes. And you look over at that other couple that's got that perfect marriage. Wow, what an incredible offering that they have to bring to the Lord. What do I have? I feel like a hypocrite right now. Even Can I, Does God even want anything from me today? Goodness gracious, I have no faith. I, I'm scared constantly. I'm full of anxiety. What could I ever bring to God when I, when, I, when I don't have any of the fruit of the Spirit active in my life? Does He even want anything from me today? See, many times we're stopped from offering the worship that we should bring to the Lord because we think that we're offering it to Him in our own dysfunction and in our own worth. But really what we do is when we come to Jesus and when we lay it at the altar, we say, God, you can have all of me. You can have the outward parts of me. You can have the inward parts of me. You can have my future. You can have my past. You can have my hopes. You can have my dreams. You can have it all. I give it all to you, Jesus. And then in that moment, it becomes like a sweet fragrance to the Father because He's sees acceptable worship that's coming through his son Jesus Christ so no longer should the church ever be stopped of their worshiping because of shame God took that away no longer should we be prevented from offering worship because of guilt or doubt or, or, or anxiety why because Jesus already paid for that we don't need to come before the Lord and hide our dysfunction anymore we don't need to come before the Lord and cover ourselves up and, and clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. That's what Adam and Eve did. They realized that they had sin in their life and the Bible says they hid from God. And they began to try to cover themselves with leaves. And what happened? God called them out of hiding and he clothed them. And God did the same with the church, but he did it even better because he did it through Jesus Christ. And he covered us with the blood of Jesus so that when he looked at us, he wouldn't just see us in our dysfunction, but he see us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who made us righteous, not by our own works, but by our trust and our faith in him. So there's no more hiding. There's no more covering and cleaning ourselves up. By faith in Jesus Christ, we can finally worship God in spirit and in truth because we're giving God a burnt offering, which is all of us, not to take anything back and hold on to it ourselves, but God have all of me. Because it's through Jesus Christ that the church is now the place for God's dwelling presence. And we have become the priests and the people who are now worthy by Jesus Christ to offer him the worship that he deserves. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.